One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 70. That's right, episode 70 of The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz and I'm your host. And uh, in today's show, we've got a great listener question from Alex. Alex has about the significance and historical importance of Singapore to uh, the maritime industry and to shipping in general. Chris will be answering that in the first part of his segment. And then Chris will, of course, bring along the latest cruise news. A little later in the show, we've got a review from Paolo. Paolo recently completed the uh, first cruise for Cunard on board Queen Elizabeth after their return to service. He'll be sharing those uh, experiences and his thoughts on uh, cruising with us uh, towards the end of the show. And uh, a little shout out and a little reminder that, uh, of course, you can uh, jump onto our website and send through a list of questions at any stage. You can also ask to do a cruise review. Uh, the website, of course, is thebigcruisepodcast.com and join the show is where you can uh, get in touch with us. Also, I'd like to give a little reward to those of you that are here in Australia. Some of you may or may not know that my wife has her own shoe business, importing beautiful handmade Spanish sandals. And uh, we've got a special discount code to celebrate the 70th episode. So if you would like to surprise uh, a loved one or buy yourself a great pair of handmade Spanish sandals, um, jump into the show notes of this particular episode. I'll have a special code for you, and uh, you can use that on her website, which is uh, sandalsandsunsets.com.au. But let's jump into today's episode, and let's get Chris into the studio and get things moving. Enjoy the show. And of course, our first guest every week is always Chris Frey, maritime historian and all things cruise news. Chris, we're recording a day early. It's Thursday today. Welcome back, mate. Thank you very much. But uh, it might be Thursday, but it does feel like the weeks are flying past, Barry. Episode uh, 70. I know. Incredible, hey? Gosh. We'll be, seems we'll like be just hitting 100 before we, were, we know it. Exactly. We'll have to do something special. In fact, it'd be nice if the 100th episode would coincide with cruising resuming, wouldn't it? In Australia, Ooh. at least. I think we'll that's unlikely, that but it would universe. be nice. <laughs> Let's put it out into the universe and hope for Why rest. not? Why not? <laughs> now, we're going to start off today with a great listener question. This came in from Alex. And sorry, Alex, you didn't say where you are in the world. But 
Um, this got me thinking as well, and I'm sure you know more of the answer than I do. Mm. He asked, or he or she actually, I'm not sure if it's male or female. In modern times, Singapore was or is a global port handling everything from cargo to passengers. Mm. Was Singapore of historical importance to the line voyages? If so, when did it become so? Or was the focus mostly always on trade slash cargo? That is a great question, and it's not an easy question. Um, I mean, <laughs> there's an, there's a relatively simple, straightforward answer, um, but it's one that requires a little bit of sort of um, context as well. So okay. Singapore um, was, is, as Alex says, a very important port. Um, and nowadays, well, up until pre-COVID, you know, we kind of saw it as a port that world cruise ships would pull into, um, there was obviously local cruising. There's been local cruising resuming um, in Singapore with uh, with Dream Cruises and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, historically, the the line voyages and the, and the passenger ships that used to operate in this part of the world weren't just passenger ships; they were cargo carriers as well. So the the liners. This was in an era. We're thinking about the era prior to the 1950s. So mm-hmm. before jets, before um, containerization of cargo. Mm-hmm. The ocean liners used to be the primary mode of, um, of, of large-scale cargo transportation, along with things called tramp steamers, which also used to carry basically just cargoes. And then they had combination liners as well, which were small complements of passengers and a large complement of cargo. But right. the majority of the cargo traveled by ships that also were traveling with passengers and, in many cases, the mails as well, because that um, postal service was the 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 subsidies were the backbone of the shipping lines in the mm-hmm. early in the early days all the way up until the age of the jet so for singapore um it it was an important port for multiple reasons cargo and and uh, mail notwithstanding also for passengers because the singapore obviously was at that time was part of the british empire Mm-hmm. Um, and so Britain had um, connections into into Singapore, and P and O, for example, would operate into Singapore, um, and also up into other uh, major Asian ports from their hub in um, in the Gulf of Suez. And then later, when the Suez Canal was cut through, they they obviously would do the direct voyages that would go through from the Mediterranean and, and originate in Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, now these ships um, aren't. You know, people often think of the ocean liners and immediately get a picture in their mind of the Queen Mary or <laughs> the mm. Normandy, you know, these big Atlantic liners. But traveling to this part of the world, the, the steamships were, were, were smaller and more sort of um, customized, I suppose, for the different routes and, and, and services that they were operating on. Um, so there would have been a, a, a myriad of different ships of different sizes and shapes that were operating in and out of Singapore from a variety of different reasons. Um, obviously, there were dedicated cargo transports, although things weren't, it's not like a cargo ship that you would expect to see today. It doesn't have, mm-hmm. didn't have containers. Everything yep. was loaded on by hand and by cranes and big sort of pallets and barrels and stuff and taken down into the hold. But most of those ships would also in, include some form of um of passenger uh, transportation, um, be it just a small complement or if it was a passenger liner. Um, and that would be the way that that people um, were able to come and go from, from cities or countries like Singapore. Um, and, you know, in the, ter- in the age of, of, of the British Empire particularly, these shipping services were essential to get the, the, the military and the British... Um, I suppose, 
um, uh, the people who were looking after the, the, the various colonies around the world mm-hmm. um, yep. to and from these areas. So you would, you know, Singapore is, is one example, Sydney, of course, and, and, and Fremantle for the Australian um, uh, Dominion. And then, of course, there was obviously services over to Canada because of that, which would also be important for this, for this uh, sort of um, connection with the British Empire and also up into Hong Kong and other places that, that Britain had uh, colonial rule over. So, yes, it's a it's a very long history. It's been a it's been a important port since before even the age of um, age of steam. Of course, it was important before the um, before the ocean liners um, sort of came through in terms of a trade trade route with with sailing ships and that sort of thing. But in the era of the steamship, very much so in terms of cargo, very much so in terms of mail, but also was a busy passenger port as well. Brilliant. I knew you'd know the answer, and uh, you certainly did. So well done, Chris, and thanks <laughs> Thank to Alex you. for that great Absolutely question. That. And, you know, the, the the interesting thing is, like, I mean, obviously we, we looked into it quite a bit with um, the research we did about our P&O um, yeah. book, but yeah. there, are, there are many other sort of branch lines that companies like P&O and Orient Line and others had um, affiliations with or ownership structures with, which would take line voyages up in, in sort of inter-Asia line voyages and also connecting places like Australia with the Asian ports to kind of bypass the need to go back to sort of Suez or um, yeah. up to those major hubs. So lots of ships moving around. It was always a very busy area. And it still is today. Well, not necessarily busy with cruise ships right now, but there's certainly always a lot of ships in the, hey, it's, the Bay it's of busier than you. It's busier than Australia. <laughs> cruise true. ships at least. <laughs> that is moment. true. Yes, exactly. <laughs> just a reminder, listeners, if you have got a question, just head to the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. In the top right-hand corner, join the show, send it through, and just like Alex, uh, myself and Chris will do our best to answer them in a future episode. Um, Chris, we've got a little bit of cruise news. There's not an awful lot this week, so let's jump straight into it. Sure. Um, Crystal, first of all, have announced the resumption of river cruising in Europe. They have, yes. So they're um, one of their um, beloved ships, <laughs> river cruise ships, the Crystal Raval. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Um, she has um, undertaken her first seven night cruise on the Danube. Um, so, of course, that and then that one, you know, we've been talking about river cruises and how they've resumed by staying sort of inter in one country. But this particular um, itinerary is taking in Germany, Austria and Hungary. Yeah. Um, she's actually overnighting at uh, Vienna and Budapest. And it's got a sort of a focus on UNESCO um, heritage sites as well. Um, so that particular voyage set sail, uh, well, you know, departed on the 29th of August. So it's underway as we record this. Brilliant. And her sister Debussy, I think you say, is uh, yeah, also departed a day later. She was on the Rhine, I believe. Yes, from Basel to the Rhine. And next up, we've got some news from Oceania. In fact, they've got a little, they've got two items of news this week. The first one, though, is of course the uh, the first ship to be back into active service. We're talking all about Mariner. Yes, so she's um, undertaken her first voyage in, in almost uh, one and a half years, almost 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very exciting for Oceania. They're welcoming their guests back across uh, um, the pier there and um, boarding the ship. So, of course, that's always very exciting for the crew to see people returning to the ships because that's, that's what they're there for. That's what they were built for. So it's nice to see, to see that happening again. Um, and they, you know, they, they've noted um, in, in the information that they sent to us, Baz, that it's 524 days. Um, since uh, since the last passenger stepped off the ship. So, you know, put that into context and it just gives you an idea as to how empty, I suppose, the ships must have felt for all that time. Yeah. Um, she's the first one to resume cruising for that Oceania fleet. 
um, and she'll be sailing uh, from Copenhagen. Um, nice. And the first um, ship to, to from their fleet to do so since 2019. So a few firsts or resumption um, firsts there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so she'll be cruising in, in various waters, including Denmark, Sweden, Germany, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Finland, <gasps> quite a lot of different places. Um, and of course, I'm calling in at Stockholm as well. Um, and then, you know, she'll be spending her summer season or northern um, summer season, um, well, what's left of it, because it's kind of drawing to a close now, um, cruising around um, in Europe. And then she will set sail to Miami, in, uh, arriving there in December, where she'll undertake a, a US season. So exciting. Brilliant. Very nice. Um, Oceania also came out with some great news this week. In fact, they keep dripping little bits and pieces about this beautiful new ship, uh, Vista, of course. What are they talking about in this release? Uh, yes, yeah, so this new ship's uh, going to have its owner's suite is going to be sort of, I guess, something unlike anything that's maybe gone to sea before. It's going to be exclusively styled and decorated in Ralph Lauren home um, mm. style, which is, you know, for people who like their brands, that sounds very exciting. Um, and there is a, a, a number of other, um, you know, amenities and things that they've also been drip feeding as you, as you've mentioned. So in terms of the suites, um, there will be three of them known as the owner's suites. Um, and they're going to span, um, the full width of the ship, which oh, wow. is quite remarkable. Yeah. Um, coming in at about 2,400 square feet, um, which if we do a quick uh, calculation, what, what is that in meters, Barry? <laughs> Two, four hundred. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes. I've got no idea. put it in the show notes, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to do the math. It's, it's not working. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. It has worked. 731 square meters for those there of us go. who are metric. Um, it's very spacious. Yes, very spacious. And you can see that the podcast is is, is recorded live. So there we go. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so they're basically like seagoing estates, you know, very much upmarket and, and, and kind of what you would expect spec from the next generation from Oceania because it's a it's a luxury brand um and then they've also got another um little bit of information here as well that they're going to have a, a library on board and it's also going to be styled in the same theme um and it's sort of like a little bit of a you know a relaxation and and getaway area for for passengers it's on the top of the ship um have a very beautiful um, decor on the inside of course and a place where you can kind of go and relax and um, and, and just sort of unwind. And then nearby, they're going to have um, a, a gourmet coffee bar as well and a bakery. So it'd be a little bit like the perfect setup, I suppose, for anybody yeah. who, who likes views, books, and, and good food and coffee. <laughs> I like it. So it wasn't too long ago that cof- good coffee was hard to come by on, on mm. cruise ships. I and mean, everybody's doing well now and uh, getting trained baristas and really good coffee on board, which is great. Of course, Vista will be setting sail um, on 9 September 20. Sorry, she'll be previewing for sailing. Sorry. for So the sails will open on the 9th of September this year, but she won't be sailing until April of 2023. And I'm sure we're going to get more information over the next coming weeks as to different areas of that beautiful ship. Um, moving on to Princess Next, we had a little release last week that teases with some information about the deployment for Diamond Princess. Um, Princess have actually sent out a little snippet of some of the top reasons you should consider a cruise to Japan. And I quite like this, so I included it in the, uh, in the news this week. That's nice, yeah. And, you know, like last week's podcast, we spoke about the fact that Diamond Princess, you know, it's long been a, um, a, a ship that the Japanese market's been loyal to. 
um, and she's returning, which is which is great to see. And of course, that comes off the back of previous conversations that we'd had about the trust that people have in mm. in Princess. So you can check those out in previous podcasts. But yeah, so Diamond Princess is um, 2023 season. Um, it's going to be a, a combination of both cruises, straight cruises, and also cruise tours, which will mm. um, you know include the the connections in with Japan. And it's also the 10th anniversary of um princesses uh, well diamond princesses sailings from um yokohama and kobe um, i'd actually forgotten she was built in japan actually until they put it yes on right exactly and one of the rare ones that isn't built by fincantieri <laughs> <laughs> but no there was um there is shipbuilding in japan um mitsubishi heavy industries i think it was that yeah um that built uh, well maybe one of the shipbuilders that is, that is there anyway um and there's also ships being built in 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 china and other parts of that that um that region as well, so the Asia Pacific region. So it's not it's not just the European shipyards that are contributing, um, but yeah. So there's there's a ver- variety of different reasons that, that that you should consider a Japanese cruise. They've kind of broken it down into into various um, sort of categories, from from festivals, which of course Japan is very well known for, um, to the vibrant cities and landscapes you can see there, including UNESCO World Heritage areas such as Mount Fuji. Um, there's spring flowers gardens um, as well, which is one of the, again, the things that, um, that Japan is, is, is beloved for is the way that the yeah, flowers come blossom. out and the cherry blossom. Um, and of course, the temples, shrines and castles, which when, when I did um, a visit to Japan, Yokohama aboard uh, Queen Mary too many years ago, we actually did spend some time at um, some of the shrines and, and temples there, which was very interesting. Lovely. Yeah, it's not an area I actually haven't been to yet, but it's certainly on the list. And uh, I'd encourage people to get up there because everybody that comes back from it absolutely raves about Japan. Um, We have got no more cruise news. That's all we've got for this. Actually, Baz, it's so funny, but as we're talking, hot off the press, from (laughs) P&O Cruises in the UK, news that they're going to be extending their international voyages with a return to the Caribbean. Oh. So the uh, information that's just come across my desk from their wonderful PR team there is um, that Britannia will be doing a series of 14-night Caribbean cruises from a home port in Barbados starting on the 5th of November of this year. And then Azura will also be joining her for 14 nights from December the 10th, 2021. Um, That'll be incredibly popular. The website will likely go into a little frenzy. I'm sure people it's realize melting it. down as we speak. <laughs> yeah, so uh, of course, the Caribbean um, very popular with the, the European market. Very, um, very sort of new news, light news. Obviously, details will be on both the show notes as we get them, but also on the P&O website, I'm sure. But it's just so funny that the timing, it's literally come in uh, four <laughs> minutes ago. So there we go. Love it. Now, um, of course, every week uh, or most weeks, you've got something out on the socials. I know this week you have literally just today launched the latest video and it's a cracker. What is it, Chris? It's QM2 versus QE2. (laughs) And what a video it was for me to make because, you know, anybody who's been listening to this podcast or seen any of my stuff knows that I'm very fond of both of those ships. Um, But they are still... I mean, it's been well over a decade since QE2 was withdrawn from service, but even, you know, as recently as 2019 when I was on board QM2, people were still comparing the two ships. Yeah. You know, is this better than QE2? Is this better on QM2? So I thought, well, let's have a look at it sort of as objectively as I could um, and work out which one, if either, is is the winner. <laughs> oh, God. I, I think you might be getting a little bit of hate mail from some people if, uh, if you've uh, <laughs> chosen one over the other, but um, well, it's obviously I, I done think, all lightheartedly. Yeah. I think there will be um, 
you know, comments are good for engagement on YouTube. So please leave a comment. <laughs> I won't take offense unless you're rude. <laughs> <laughs> no, our listeners are always very polite, I'm sure. So yes, uh, they'll sure be they heading are. over to, to YouTube and having a, a good view of that video and others, of course. Chris, um, it's always a pleasure, mate. Thank you very, very much. And uh, we'll be back uh, same time next week. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great week. Super excited for the next guest on the podcast. Not only was it his first ever cruise, it happened to be on a Cunard Queen, and it happened to be the very, very first cruise post-COVID out of the UK. Paolo, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Bas. Thanks for having me. And yeah, first cruise, I, I think I think I've been overnight on a car ferry to Amsterdam from the UK <laughs> before, but I don't think that counts. So it was yeah. a bit of an upgrade. We could call it a mini cruise, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Certainly a bit of a difference between uh, Cunard, I'm, I'm for sure. Now, yes, um, I think so. <laughs> I touched on in that little intro there, you you booked a cruise that became the very first um, cruise to restart for Cunard, but it wasn't planned that way. You were actually about four sailings into the, season, the restart season, but things got changed and ultimately you ended up becoming uh, the first one of the first clients back out at sea for Cunard. Uh, which must have been very, very exciting, not just for you, but for the, the atmosphere in the terminal and the crew welcoming you on board. It must have been uh, a bit of a spectacle. Yeah, that's right. First time for Queen Elizabeth and I think any of the Cunard ships, you know, sailing post-pandemic. And uh, it wasn't it wasn't quite our intention. So it was it was me, my mum and my dad. Mm-hmm. And um, dad needs an accessible cabin because he's in a wheelchair most of the time. Yeah. Um, and what, what Cunard offered was uh, their Summer at Sea series. So it was a, a seven nights around the British Isles. It doesn't really kind of stop anywhere. It just goes up to Scotland and back. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, there's a, there's a fairly limited number of accessible cabins on each ship. And as soon as they went on sale, the first few voyages kind of instantly had um, sold out from an accessible cabin perspective. So we ended up on this one, which I think was maybe the fourth or the fifth one that was scheduled uh, yeah. and, and and turned out to be the first uh, because they, they had to uh, cancel previous previous ones for various different reasons and they, they weren't ready to uh, restart. So, um, mm. yes, not not intentional, but there we go. <laughs> and was there a, a, a special events behind the scenes that made you consider a cruise for the first time? Any birthdays, milestones, or anything that you were kind of <laughs> celebrating? Well, the special event was just being able to go anywhere in <laughs> in any direction for anything, really. So, no, 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 no particular special event. But uh, it's it's quite uh, it's quite an easy holiday, uh, particularly yeah. if you've got slightly reduced mobility. So that kind of made sense. Uh, yeah. And I figured there'd be you know there'd be, there'd be something for me and something for the parents. So that was the logic behind it. And was it your parents' first cruise as well? Oh, no, they're uh, seasoned cruisers, but oh, uh, this time they had somebody pushing the wheelchair around for them. That was the only <laughs> difference. <laughs> Brilliant, love it. Now, um, obviously, Southampton's uh, pretty accessible to a lot of the UK. Did you park at the port? Did you overnight at a hotel prior? Um, anything that we need to be aware of pre-cruise, I guess? Yeah, so I live in the southeast anyway. Uh, okay. My my parents don't, so I, I went and got them the day before, drove them down in the car. That's quite a long journey. And then um, about an hour and a half um, from my house to Southampton, and we did that in my car uh, and just parked it there. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Now, uh, normally embarkation is a pretty seamless process in Southampton, uh, but obviously things are a little bit different, uh, not just post-COVID, but being the very, very first Cunard operation, I guess uh, some of the crew may have, or some of the the portside staff may have been uh, trying things for the new time. How was embarkation? 
Yeah, remarkably smooth, actually. So uh, the all-important uh, curb to cabin was uh, was quite a lengthy one hour, 30 minutes. I had my stopwatch out for you, Baz. <laughs> um, but there was stuff happening all the time. So the, 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 the first thing you do in a car is you go to a central location in, in Southampton uh, docks for a COVID test centre. Yep. And that's that's included in the fare. Um, it was very smooth. There was no queue. So you, you, you go to a first marshal that explains the whole process, and then you drive forward. Um, somebody uh, checked passports. Uh, they checked that we were double vaccinated. That was one of the conditions of the cruise. So we had to have sort of NHS printed documentation for that. Um, took our mobile phone numbers and, and the various cruise details. And then you, you drive forward into a tent where everybody's in PPE. Um, and they kind of swarm on the car and all the windows goes down. <laughs> and each, each passenger gets a nostril swab. Yep. Um, and it's quite it's quite well done. Um, they put sort of a uh, a disposable paper bracelet on you, I guess, in case they've got their own mobile phone number or they can't tally it up. So that's mm. that's to associate you with the test result, basically. Right. Um, so that was that was quite smooth. You drive through there, and then you we we went to the ocean terminal, which is where Queen Elizabeth was actually leaving from. Mm-hmm. Um, there's quite a long queue to get rid of your car, but I mean, that's not Southampton or Cunard's, you know, thing that's a yeah, car yeah. park provider. So you just sort of queue there. I think we're there about 35 minutes uh, while we waited for somebody to check the car around and take some pictures of it and take our keys from us and so on. But that's really right beside the terminal. Yeah. And then okay. in the terminal, uh, there was a health screening questionnaire uh, that we had to sort of, answer verbally um and our, our passports were checked again and our boarding passes were checked again um and then that was pretty much it really we went straight upstairs to uh, security um so i think normally you would you check in upstairs and do that upstairs but because we had the wheelchair it kind of happened in an assistive lounge downstairs yeah. uh, through security and uh, straight on board so it was an hour and a half um but about a third of that was was waiting to get rid of the car and i think uh, i think i think emma said on one of her videos a little while ago that it felt like it was always moving you weren't actually queued anywhere there was just yeah, stuff to yeah. do and i think that's that's probably a really good description of it so uh, yeah got onto the ship about 90 minutes later Brilliant, like it. Um, I'm going to ask you the COVID questions in just a little bit because I want to get your your first impression of walking up the gangway uh, onto the ship and that, that that first impression you got of Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, well, to be honest, it was just one of relief. Um, <laughs> I, we were we were really braced for something to go wrong. You know, we were acutely aware that several had been cancelled before us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously something new that they're you know doing for the first time. The documentation requirements were quite strict. You had to have certain travel insurance conditions, and obviously there were you know the various COVID checks. That there's a chance one of us might have tested positive. Car yeah. might have broken down. So I just I, I I just would not let myself believe that this holiday might go ahead until I was on the <laughs> ship. Um, in case it didn't. Uh, so yeah, def- definitely one of uh, relief. Um, and then uh, kind of other memories was. It looks like YouTube. <laughs> so it probably is. It probably is one of the most filmed and uh, photographed uh, ship uh, yeah. 
in history. So it looked exactly as expected, which is impressive mm-hmm. um, and very, very nice after its uh, refit, uh, which, of course, was still fairly fresh. I think it, I think it, of course, Chris will kill me if I get this wrong, but I think it <laughs> came out of refit in November 2019. So it, it basically only sailed for about six months before it yeah. stopped. So yeah, everything is, right. is still is, is still new and, you know, the carpets look incredible and, and, uh, and uh, so on. So, yeah, that was that was the first impression. Brilliant. And what was the the atmosphere with the crew like? Were they just so glad to have guests back on board again? Yeah, very very friendly, uh, very chatty, very welcoming. So that was that was really nice to see. Um, we'll go straight up to your, your cabin or your stateroom next. You mentioned that you had an accessible uh, accommodation for your for your father, for your parents. Um, how how was that? How, how did it meet their expectations? I guess from from other accessible cabins they may have had in the in the past. Mm, yeah, great. So, so we had two cabins. So I had a, a, a standard uh, Britannia balcony cabin, and they had a Britannia balcony grid cabin. Paid, paid the same money, but then mm-hmm. theirs was the accessible, you know, shape and yep. shape and size. So the cabins are really nice. Um, so the the standard cabin, uh, lots and lots of wardrobe space. I suppose you might need that if you're on a world voyage or something. So four really big wardrobes, plenty of hangers, double rails, that kind of thing. Um, really heavy door out to the balcony you can't hear anything when the door's shut there's no you know wind wind noise or rattling mm-hmm. or anything so that mm-hmm. was quite nice because i'm a, a fairly light sleeper um uh general appointment furnishings all very smart i guess that must have been refitted at the same time uh no no usb sockets i think that must have been a little bit uh after yeah. <laughs> after 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 Cunard fitted this out, I did find one on the back of the telly, but it wasn't for power, so I couldn't <laughs> couldn't charge my devices that way. But uh, plenty of plugs, uh, UK uh, four US plugs, and this kind of crazy European plug that just had so many different holes and appendages. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you pushed hard enough, you could get anything into it from any <laughs> any you know um, anything around the world. Of course, when I say plugs, I actually mean sockets because somebody will yes. probably correct that in there in the comments for us weren't they <laughs> there we are but um yeah nice uh kettle um granulated coffee uht milk that sort of thing i suppose you wouldn't really do that would you You'd just go out to one of the many um included restaurants or cafes but uh, yes very uh very pleasant appointment and then the accessible cabin so all the same kind of decor same amenities but much bigger probably twice as big um and a bigger balcony um as well and that was that was really appreciated because you do need a lot of space when you're in a wheelchair. So that was fantastic. Um, a big bathroom, wet room uh, with with lots of different options. So one of one of the things when you when you book an accessible room, you, you QNAR sends you a medical questionnaire, which is very extensive. They they they, they clearly know know uh, what they're doing in this space. So you could choose between whether you wanted a, a shower seat or a stool and fall down and kind of. So we had all these various different options, which was which oh, wow. was super useful. Yeah, really, really good. So loads of space in the bathroom to kind of help with um, showering and that kind of thing. And you could you could get a Zimmer frame in there or a walker and so on. So that was all good. And then there was a really nice touch as well where um, out onto the balcony, there's there's obviously quite a sort of a high threshold that you'd normally yeah, have to step yeah. over to get out into the balcony. And they'd built up the inside to have a ramp underneath the carpeted surface so it all looked completely built in. And oh, wow. the same on the outside, there was a ramp that went down to join the decking. And then when you slid the door open, a little flap kind of dropped down when the door was fully extended to completely bridge the runners, bridge the gap that the door had come across. So it was oh, a wow. completely smooth surface that you could then push your wheelchair out onto 
And then when you came to pull the door back, this little flap kind of came up and the door shut. Um, so that was, you know, just like a really small detail, but it, it made a big difference. And I think, you know, given that ship was 2010, I think that's quite impressive, actually. Yeah, no, no, it does sound good. Um, and out of interest in your personal cabin and stateroom, was there a shower curtain or are they updated to have the shower screen? No, the, the all-important shower curtain question. <laughs> well, let me tell you, Baz, that is the least of your worries in that bathroom. So, I mean, I, you know, I just mentioned it was built in 2010 I, I i have no idea where think where fincantieri could have bought those bathroom pods from only 11 years ago so we're <laughs> we're talking sort of light brown sort of soviet era plastic pod um Ooh. it was of course a shower curtain i mean mm-hmm. perfectly serviceable and completely clean um yeah. but no not not the most sort of oppressively uh appointed bathroom <laughs> suite although, although interestingly uh full-size penhaligans toiletries so oh. penhaligans is kind of British luxury brand sort of thing, um, and uh, there, were, there, were, there were there were three full size toiletries, uh, which which are each about um, thirty eight UK pounds. There's about two hundred Aussie dollars worth of kind of swag oh, wow. there if you particularly you know <laughs> c- care about that kind of thing. And so that was, to that the wall? was uh, not not uh, bolted to the wall. No, in, in kind of full size <laughs> retail packaging. So so that was that was that was rather nice, nice to see. But uh, yeah. Uh, Perfectly serviceable, but uh, probably 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 no more. But but of course, this is um, this is the uh, the Britannia grade, so we're, we're kind of in economy yeah. here. So I'm, I'm I'm sure I'm sure you get a bit more when you're in the grills. <laughs> now we'll move on to uh, the all important mustard drill and how that may have changed. And I guess in this section we might cover anything that's kind of COVID related because this is probably one of the biggest changes that will have happened uh, post COVID. Um, how did lifeboat drill, mustard drill, etc., kind of come about on the ship? Yeah, so there was there was a, a kind of a shortened safety video playing on a loop in the cabin when you first went in, and you were encouraged to watch that, um, and then you had to report to your mustard station at a sort of time of your convenience, if you like, mm-hmm. um, within two or three hours of, of boarding the ship. And then have your have your voyage card um, scanned to prove that you've found it. Now that that's obviously great because it means that you you, you don't get a swarm of people at a single time in a single location. Yeah. The slight kind of disadvantage, and maybe this is just me doing it all wrong, is that I didn't sort of actively think. I will now walk from my cabin to the muster station and get my card uh, swiped. We just happened across it as we moved through the ship, ah, um, and I recognised yeah. it was the correct letter, the you know A to D or whatever. And I and I had my card scanned because we were there and it was convenient. But the but the route that we'd taken wasn't wasn't the route that you would take in an emergency. And I'm, so I'm slightly embarrassed to say I probably still wouldn't quite know. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's all <laughs> very well signed, but it didn't force me to walk the route so that was the only thing i was a little bit sort of nice. i thought afterwards yeah i probably should actually work out where that really is and not just happen upon it as i move between a couple of bars before 4 p.m or whatever yeah you may or may not know the answer to this one i've always been curious that for people that are in a wheelchair or have mobility issues during a normal musters drill um are they expected to go straight to the muster station and fight to, amongst the lifts or does somebody actually assist them in a, a closed elevator shaft or something to get? Because obviously there's a lot of people yeah. in the normal circumstances. So I'm not sure operationally how they do it, but in the medical questionnaire, um, it asked whether you needed assistance with, with boarding and so on. And it specifically asked if you needed assistance in a, an emergency muster situation. So my assumption would be somebody would come to the cabin pretty quickly and they'd do whatever they needed to do to, to um, get you to, to uh, yeah. where you needed to be, basically, yeah. Fair enough. Excellent. 
Now, um, let's have a little wander around the ship and uh, think about some of these public areas. Um, I know normally this, sh- uh, this particular ship is about 2,000 guests. How many were on this actual, um, in, in, for want of a better term, inaugural post-COVID voyage? Um, and what, what was the atmosphere on board? Did it feel busy? Did it feel like you expected a cruise to feel? Yeah, so this is a tricky one because it's my it's my first cruise. It's my first time on the ships. So it's quite it's quite hard to compare. But in chatting to a few other people, the general perception was it was much quieter, um, mm-hmm. and that people were maybe a little bit more reserved and in their own parties. There was less kind of chatting right. and mixing. And for example, there wasn't um, seating around the bars and that kind of thing. Everything was table service. So to a, to a certain extent, you were a little bit more partitioned. I mean, pe- mm-hmm. people did chat to each other, of course. Um, but yeah, obviously a very nice atmosphere very relaxed um i don't think cunard ever said how like what what the capacity was they certainly on board they never talked about passenger numbers i don't think it was in any of the literature they just said that they were holding some cabins back in case they needed to um i went on a bit of a walk actually so um there was a section of cabins closed on every floor so if you're kind of familiar with Queen Elizabeth or the other Vista class ships. It was mm-hmm. when you got to to stairs C, um, there were there were fire doors shut there from the lift lobby, from uh, stairs C about halfway to the B stairs. So kind of from from sort of aft to mid aft, that whole section the the fire doors were shut and you just couldn't kind of go in there. So I think that that's probably about thirty percent of the cabins, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was the same on every floor that had cabins on it so i guess they were probably running at about 70 percent, but it was never talked about and, and really nothing covid was ever really talked about um obviously there were regulations and stuff that you had to do but it wasn't included in daily announcements it certainly wasn't labored um yeah. they really tried to make it as normal as possible brilliant and with um, the, the new covid era what what's the the kunod stance are we requiring masks in public areas uh are you having daily tests or um, anything like that? Temperature checks? Yeah, so not not tests or temperature checks. Well, not temperature checks that I could see anyway. Um, there was that one included test before you boarded. And of course, it was for double vaccinated uh, people. So risk yeah. should be a bit lower anyway. So um, the mask policy, I mean, it was it was quite detailed. But, but the net of it was if you were moving around, have a mask on unless you're on an open deck. Mm-hmm. And if you were sat down in a hospitality you know, venue or whatever, you could take your mask off. Um, and the crew had masks on 100% of the time, 100% of the spaces. And the, and the mask kind of conformance was exceptional. I mean, way more than I've ever seen on land in the UK. And we're, you know, we're a pretty rules, rules, rules following nation. Yeah. Um, li- literally, everybody had a mask on 100% of the time when they should have done, um, which, you know, was, was, was good to see. And, and, and I think... I think the rules were were very reasonable, so you know people were people were happy to sort of go for it. Um, oh, in the theatre, sort of several several seats blocked off to maintain a bit of distancing, and you did have to keep your mask on in the theatre. So that also meant no food and drink in the theatre, which I think um, you know is is something that's maybe a bit different from if you if you if you if you've been on there before. Sure. And of course, the buffet has not been taken away. There was lots of rumours back in the early days of COVID that the, the buffet was gone, but it's there on almost every ship still. But it is just um, just served to you now, I guess. 
Yes, that's right. So this is the this is the uh, Lido restaurant at the top, and uh, that was uh, table service. That's right, um, and they were offering um, breakfast, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and afternoon tea as well. I think so, pretty much a full service through the day, uh, and then you could kind of uh, just walk up and point at the stuff you wanted if you wanted kind of teas, coffees, cakes, and pastries and whatnot. And a member of staff would serve that from behind a table to you, so you kind of a little bit um, sort of back from the usual buffet screens and whatnot um so that i mean clearly they think that's going to come back in the future they haven't ripped any of that out or anything drastic um but it was all it was all quite um nicely done and actually that was that was quite it's quite cunard isn't it really but that was sort of a theme throughout that the there was a nice attention to detail when they'd had to put temporary measures in. So yeah. if in the, in the theatre, for example, when I mentioned that some of the seats were blocked off, they were um, kind of uh, quite tasteful fabric signs that, you know, that had been specially printed with the, you know, don't, oh, don't, okay. don't sit here. And, yeah. and it matched the fabric of the seats and they had Velcro on it. It was all nicely done. It wasn't, you know, somebody's printed it all <laughs> off on a piece of A4 paper and stuck it up there. So a bit of that was, that, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So they, 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 they tried to sort of, you know, blend it in with the aesthetic and, and make it as, 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 as less obtrusive as uh, possible, which was good. Brilliant. And out of the public areas, out and about around the ship, well, we'll get to dining in just a second, but public areas in general, lounges, theatres, etc. Was there any particular space that, that was yours that you went back to time and time again, just to, whether it was a, a quiet spot or something that was just that, that called you in, whether it was the music, something? Did you have a favourite place on board? Yeah, well, it was it was nice to be out on the open decks, to be honest, just to sort of you know see some movement in the sea and you know see see sights that we just haven't seen for many years, really. So that was quite nice. We did we did quite a few walks around deck. Um, and the weather parents, was okay. Uh, uh, weather was fine. Yeah, I mean it was it was slight irony is it was better in Southampton when we kind of left all that behind <laughs> and uh, went up to sort of drizzle in Scotland. But it was it was it was totally fine. But you 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 wouldn't really be sunbathing um there was everything was open so all the all the spaces were open and, and all the you know restaurants and cafes and so on and the deck was open and the pools were open as well although because of the weather there weren't too many people there um my parents really liked the commodore club so that was that yep. was somewhere that we went back a few times they had the penis in the evening and that was a really nice atmosphere and I guess because the ship was a little bit less busy, there was never any problem finding a seat anywhere or, or finding the exact seat that you wanted almost. You know, you could pretty much choose your view when you went to a lot of these venues, which was which was which was really nice. And out of the activities on board, did you have to make a reservation for anything or could you literally just rock up and hope that there was space for you? Yeah, you could you could pretty much rock up. So some things the spaces were limited but we never seemed to reach the capacity and in fact we were, we were never we were never turned away from anything um we were in a few rooms that were full you wouldn't have wanted any more people in them um yep. but nobody else showed up so it was kind of fine so yeah, yeah they've, they've they've clearly got a really clever system of w- working out the demand for whatever they're putting on and putting it in the right space because they, they obviously have you know very different you know size venues everything from the royal court theater down to like a small conference room that seats sort of 10 or whatever and they always seem to pick the right venue for the right attraction which was which was quite clever um so so yeah so that that was that was good uh, i did uh, i did the watercolor art class um oh, yeah. a few times whilst i was on board which was really good that was upstairs in the britannia restaurant which i apparently was not the usual place for that but that was that was great because you you got a little bit of classical music or whatever over the afternoon tea service which was quite it was quite nice it was sort of wafted up but <laughs> uh, yeah so 
I did that. We went to uh, went to a few good talks. Um, so uh, Dr. Emma Roberts, she's an art historian at um, University of Liverpool, and she okay. she she did a few talks throughout the voyage, and one of them was around uh, interiors on the Royal Yacht Britannia, which was really interesting. Uh, Anthony uh, English, who's a um, uh, he's a British composer, he did a talk about his uh, life in music and music on board Cunard vessels over the years so that was that was really interesting so it was a full program of events lots of live music in loads of different venues in the evening probably at any one time on a night there's i don't know six or seven places you can go for different sorts of live music so it was it was definitely a packed schedule i hadn't let anything get in the way of that (laughs) as chris is listening to this uh, later in the week i'm sure he's going to be very jealous about the thought of him doing his own presentations in uh, in the Let's jump into dining for a little while. Um, let's start off. Uh, you've, you've touched on the Lido already, but if, if you dined in the Lido, if you had um, stateroom service, if you dined in the Britannia, or if you went, even went into any of the specialty restaurants, let's touch on any of the dining that you experienced and what you particularly liked. Yeah, great. So we we spent most of our time in the Britannia restaurant because it's a it's a it's a very nice space to be. So yeah, we ate beautiful. there quite a lot. We did eat at the Lido a few times as well, so that was really good. The veranda is a speciality, which we were we were thinking about doing, but we had a look at the menu and it looks lovely, but to be honest, it doesn't look sort of like appreciably any better than than you'd yeah. get elsewhere. I'm 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 sure it is fantastic. So we thought we'll just stick with what we know. So so we did that. Um so Again, it's you know slightly hard to compare because I haven't done it before, but but there are, there are clearly some differences with, with 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 how the dining service is running in Britannia. So the first obvious one is that the upstairs was was largely closed. So there were mm-hmm. there were a few tables at the front upstairs that were used for overflow, but broadly speaking, they were they were trying to get everybody into the main floor downstairs, and the usual concept of an early and a late sitting um, seemed to have disappeared. So right. in the um, and. And that wasn't really communicated beforehand, so I don't know if that's something that they, you know, changed a bit closer to sailing. Uh, in the daily program, there there seemed to be this idea that there was allocated seating from five thirty up to, I think it might have been six or six thirty, and then what they called open seating beyond that. But the reality on the ground didn't didn't quite <laughs> seem to match what was printed. In that you could you could turn up when you wanted and get a seat, or you could book in advance. And they were trying to encourage people two books so we did we we booked for eight o'clock every night and and that was one of the reasons why we just went back there because it's kind of easier um and on the first night the night that we left southampton it was busy and there was a queue um maybe i don't know like a 10 minute queue to get into the britannia and it was it was it I, I was acutely aware that a ten minute queue is eleven minutes longer than your average queue night customer is prepared to wait for anything <laughs> because people were people were pretty apoplectic about that lots of head shaking which is you know extremely bad news if you're british yeah. um but but you know i i think i think given it was the very first night i think people's expectations were maybe a little bit unreasonable about the mm-hmm. fact that they'd just be able to walk in and um sit down and 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 the thing was was that everything was was actually running really well in the restaurant so 
you know, every table had people at it. When people left, a table was turned around within seconds. You know, so there was there was no sort of slack or incompetence there. Like they were absolutely on the ball. Um, they were just against the physical limits of how many tables and how many servers they had. But yeah. but that but that was really only um, the first night. They had uh, <clears throat> as you as you go in, they sort of added a second uh podium so there was sort of two two places you could go to check in and there was there was this big stack of um of uh, pages you know maybe you, you, you know you, you you go to a restaurant your table's not ready and you handed a page and you walk back oh yeah, and they yeah, were they yeah. were yeah and they were, they were they were trying this on the first night and the, the uh, you know i saw them hand a page over to somebody who gripped it between their thumb and first finger like you'd been you know handed a poo in a bag or something as I walked away <laughs> wafting it and I thought mm, I don't think they've got the market for pages really um and that and that was and that first night was the only time I ever saw those pages used every other night of the voice they were all just racked up charging and they, they, they didn't get a look in so I think maybe they tried something there that they that they decided that they weren't going to try again there there was an app as well which uh, which encouraged you to to book your dining um so you kind of go on and, and browse the various restaurants find a time and then book it 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 was a bit disconnected it, it kind of worked it kind of didn't the wi-fi in the rooms is not incredible anyway so you have to kind of like stand behind the door or open the corridor door and hang out <laughs> to get some you know to get some wi-fi because the access points are in the corridors and then um it, for example when 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 we did book that that run of evening meals that kind of made it into the app but into a different section that wasn't the booking sections you couldn't alter them so it it, uh, it was all kind of there um yeah. but it just a few teething problems but all credit to them you know they have they have tried quite a lot of different you know ways to fix this and yeah. kind of th- thrown all these ideas at it so 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 yeah so sorry i i, I digress slightly so that was the britannia response. the food's really good i mean the food is i was i was i was braced for worst food but just 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 because it's a lot of people and it's mass produced, and and as I said before, with the greatest respect, it's kind of only the Britannia, you know, uh, grid. Yeah. But it was it was really really good. It was far better than you know I've had in any similar circumstances where you have to cater for that number of people. And it was consistently good as well. And 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 long, you know, long dinners. I mean, something something like a dinner was um, uh, starters, soup, salad, entree, dessert then cheese if you wanted it, coffee, petit four. You know, you could eat yeah. for hours and basically <laughs> leave and just like go out the inn and come back in again for the next meal. So yeah, re- very good dining. I didn't didn't try the in-room dining, but a very extensive menu uh, through the day and a decent menu overnight as well. So quite, okay. quite a lot of options that you could get uh, through the night. Um, I did have breakfast one morning, so you put a put a card out and have breakfast delivered to the room and that, that came on time, which is always good um, and, was, and was very pleasant. Brilliant. Um, I love the fact that in the main dining room, they're not rushing you through dinner. I think some of the American lines in particular can be um, just trying to get people in and out as quickly as possible. And I think, um, you know, certain nationalities do like to enjoy dinner at a leisurely pace, particularly Europeans. And uh, it's great. Yeah, that's that's an opportunity that's still available. (laughs) Now, um, actually, we we just want to touch on hand washing. I know you haven't been on the ship before, but did you notice anywhere where they've placed additional hand washing stations at all? Um, Or is it just the the sanitization sprays that are that are still around yes it was automatic hand sanitizers on the on the way into pretty much everywhere um and they 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 were manned uh uh, staffed and if you if you walk past them and you didn't use them you'd be politely asked to so that that was good um so yes every everybody was was uh 
definitely walking around with uh, with uh, very clean hands. Um, same for masks as well. If you if you got up from a table and you didn't put your mask back on, you didn't get very far before somebody very politely had a conversation with you about that <laughs> as well. So um, they were definitely uh, on top of it all. I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you said the cruise was uh, in and out of Southampton. We know we went up to, to Scotland, but you didn't physically get off anywhere. It was pretty much a scenic cruising for, for one for better word. But were you relatively close to the coast? Could you, you see some of the, the beautiful Scottish coastline? Oh yeah, definitely. So first first couple of days, um, we weren't too close to the coast as we sort of as we, as we moved up between England and Ireland, you could see a bit more. And then uh when we were in Scotland, we did uh we did go to anchor for a couple of nights and they anchored in a really nice scottish lock so there was lots to look at which was very pleasant so that was good and then um there was there was always something of scenic interest that 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 was coordinated with the 12 o'clock announcement as well oh, so yeah, yeah. so yeah so so the the announcement um from from the bridge were kind of always uh uh somewhere interesting so it was it was um uh captain uh inga clean thorhig and she would come on at 12 and we would be um and i'm not i'm not great with my geography but we would be beside a big you know rock that was used to make curling stones or balamore that was you know filmed for a tv show and a nice warehouse or whatever and it it had obviously all been programmed into the sat nav to be to be sort of perfectly aligned so that was that was that was quite nice and i think the route that they took was 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 scenic and it was it was impressive that it had been timed so well given presumably they've you know never done it before and would prefer not to do it again if they didn't have to so i thought that was a nice touch really brilliant um anything that we've kind of missed that you wanted to share with the listeners about uh, well i guess not only about your first ever cruise but uh, about kunon maybe from your parents perspective if, if they've got anything that they noticed that they particularly enjoyed yeah they they were they were they were really comfortable um certainly the accessible cabin made a big difference to to their enjoyment because it just took a lot of the stress out of uh, of it uh, for them which was good um they're big foodies so they they uh, definitely enjoyed the dining and and just the fact that it it just felt a lot closer to normality and you know that Mm -hmm. wasn't an accident that was you know clearly really well thought through um so that was so that was uh, very much appreciated and uh, they are they are eager to book again. So I might be uh, I might be I might be uh, <laughs> trying to help to push them around again sometime soon. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Um, it, we do know that the people from from Cunard and many other cruise lines do listen. If you've got a message for them, um, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, um, by all means, shout out and let them know. You never know; they could be listening to this episode. No, oh, well, why not? Okay, well, there's that. You know, it's funny you say that because there are a couple of of of. Of really small things actually that that I noticed that I was quite surprised at. So, um, one one of the nice things about um, being at anchor on a night is uh, I actually I actually left my cabin door open, so oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was mild enough weather. It was very nice, um, and you could you know hear the sea or whatever. So I had, had the curtains open and had the door open. And and the interesting thing is that if if just one cabin has their outside light on, pretty much <laughs> like anywhere down your side of the ship, wow, that light goes everywhere. You know, and it, it kind of oh. it spores it spores the view, and it's like it's all this stray light that sort of comes in. So if there was if there was one free thing, I think a great improvement. And and the cabins that had lights on had them on for the whole 
you know, voyage. And I don't even think they realized. Like, I think the curtains oh, okay, got yeah, shut. Yeah. They either never found that, you know, the switch or they didn't realize you could turn it off. So I think a great thing would be if if the cabin stewards, when they um, turn down the cabin for the evening, yeah, just yeah. Uh, t- turn that outside light off if it's on and let people turn it back on again if they want it. And I think quite quickly you would end up with a very dark uh, ship and that would just be a really nice uh atmosphere when you want to do a bit of stargazing and looking out over the highlands nice and uh let's let's head up to a bar it's my shout um what are you drinking oh thank you very much well I, i'm not i'm not a big drinker bar so you're gonna have um you're gonna have a fairly uh fairly light <laughs> trip with me um they had some they had some great mocktails actually so the commodore club and a, and a, and a few other places um had some mocktails they had an excellent uh rumless mojito um, which which really you know did taste like a normal mojito, so you can you'd be very welcome to buy me that. Thank okay. thank you very much. Um, <laughs> that's a good point actually. We did go for the for the premium soft drinks package actually, so oh, okay. Um, pr- probably probably didn't get much value from that be- because so much of the day is spent sat down in restaurants anyway, <laughs> um, and then you know you, you sort of you know getting water and teas and coffees and stuff. Um, but so everything on board's priced in US dollars. It was. $29 a day for the premium soft drinks and that pretty much included everything including all the mocktails and the specialty coffees and uh, so on so yeah. we did that probably would have been cheaper just to pay for stuff um, things were perfectly reasonably priced your 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 kind offer of a mocktail would have cost you 550 um, oh. coffee at 350 380 for a coke and uh, seven pounds 50 for a small wine and all in all in US dollars so you'll need to do the conversion but I think you'd You'd, you'd, you'd probably have a bit left in the kitty for that. Okay, sounds good. I might be able to afford yeah. to, to buy myself a drink as well. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, Paolo. Really enjoyed your chat today. I know we're going to get you back on the show in the not-too-distant future because you have another cruise booked, I believe. Well, yes, we'll see if that one goes ahead. So, again, <laughs> not not intentional, but I'm now on the first transatlantic for the Queen Mary 2, which is Very mid-November. Nice. Um, so that's been on a, a bit of a rolling cancellation. Certainly at the start of, of, of the pandemic, things have, things have been stable for um, the last few months. But the challenge at the moment is that the situation for, um, for British citizens is we, we can't actually get into the US at the moment. Yep. So although... Um, Cunard will take me over there. I, I I can't actually get into New York to fly home. So not quite sure what's going to happen with that. My <laughs> my backup plan was to be quite greedy and just come straight back on the <laughs> on the next uh, voyage and just kind of not uh, deal with that problem. Um, but I think I think um, Cunard kind of realised that that is a situation that will affect a lot of travellers. So Queen Mary 2's itinerary has now been changed. It goes down to the Caribbean for for a few weeks before it comes back to the UK, presumably uh, to um, you know pick up some of that um, uh, US traffic that doesn't have that concern. So I'm not sure if that will go ahead, but if it does, maybe you know if you if you if you want to hear about that, absolutely. <laughs> that yeah. is uh, that is going to be uh, that's going to be the end of November. But I mean, thanks so much for having me on. It's been lovely to have a chat and and I only you know found the podcast kind of. Um, midway through the pandemic when we were in lockdown here in the UK and I kind of binge listened to a number of previous episodes <laughs> which were great you were you were in my ears on numerous walks around the golf course and through the woods so thanks for everything that you're doing it's been uh, it's been really nice to catch up Baz. No and I appreciate you you joining the show and I have got one last question which I forgot to ask earlier and Chris will kill me how well stocked was the bookshop with his book in particular? <laughs> 
No, of course. It was very well stocked. So I I did go straight there, anticipating high demand, and I didn't want it, you know, to sell out. Um you can so Chris will be relieved to know that you can you can see it as you walk through the doors. Um so um which 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 wasn't my doing. I mean I was I was prepared to go in there for him and do a bit of retail facing and move move a few things around. <laughs> but 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 I didn't need to. It's 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 in it's in prime prime position. Um so I'm sure he'll get he'll get some good custom there. Yeah. So that was that was great. And of course reading the book when you're on the ship and, and finding out things about it that you didn't know when you sat there and then you could go investigate it. So that was uh that was a whole lot of fun. Yeah, he's incredible. I learn something every single week on the podcast with some of his knowledge. Mm. It's incredible. Uh, so thanks again. Anyway, Paolo, I really, really appreciate it, mate. Um, I don't want to take too much time of your day because it's early in the UK. You've got a whole day of work ahead of you. We're finishing up here in Australia. Um, thanks again, mate. And I do really hope you get to go on the transatlantic and hope to speak to you very, very soon. Thanks a lot, Baz. <laughs> again just a quick reminder um if you want to help keep this podcast on air there's a little way that you can do it if you're familiar with patreon which other podcasters and youtubers use that's a way of uh, sending a little donation uh, through to them we use something similar but we use a system called buy me a coffee um just like uh, buying your friends a, a coffee in the coffee shop very very similar although you're not physically buying me a coffee you're making a small donation and every donation is greatly appreciated because it really does help to uh, to keep us on air and the benefit is, once you have made that donation, um, you uh, then receive priority access to the podcast because all of our supporters do receive the uh, the link to the podcast the moment that it is made live. And uh, it can take about 12 to 24 hours for iTunes and the other podcast directories to, to pick it up. So if you would like uh, that priority access, then the easiest way to do so is to support us via Buy Me A Coffee. You can buy one coffee, you can buy two coffees, you can buy ten coffees, or you can buy a whole year's supply. It's entirely up to you, but every single... Uh, little donation through Buy Me A Coffee is greatly appreciated. The links of how to do so you'll find in the show notes of each and every episode. Thanks in advance. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.